Tatooine is sparsely populated. If the trace was correct, I will find them quickly, Master. Move against the Jedi first. You will then have no difficulty in taking the Queen to Naboo to sign the treaty. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Do you expect me to talk? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and welcome to episode 90 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and joined by, as always, Padawans in Training, Dave, Chris, and special Jedi Knight of Honor, Charlie from Movie Drone. How are you? Um, this is pod racing. This I was, is what, were you wondering what to call Charlie, or had you forgotten his name? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, where is this going? Uh, I, was thinking, what, I, 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 I think, think she was pausing for tension, that's what, what I think it was. I'm going to say Jedi Knight of Old, because, you yeah. know, not that old. But what can I say? What title can I bestow upon you? I don't know, I don't think he's a Padawan, because, like, his beard no, is, it, is already good well, well good enough to get well, full masters. Then you guys aren't really Padawans either, so... You called me sexy before recording, so... Uh... <laughs> Just let you have a call. Oh, and we, have sexy we, all did, voice. we all did, to be fair, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a husky voice, you know. Thank you. I'm sure Mrs. Well, I was going to call her Mrs. Wax, but your other half. Mrs. Wax. <laughs> films on Wax. Yeah, he's doing Ruby Wax now just because he misses <laughs> having a Mrs. Wax in his life. Well, that, that is what she just used to call herself on uh, on Twitter. And she's Mrs. Drone. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I think I'm having more fun recording this podcast now than watching, having watched the film that we're going to be reviewing this evening. Wait until next week. Oh. <laughs> yeah, can we just skip? Oh. I've done fun facts. I can't skip it. No, yeah, well, no, 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 no. Because next week is the triumphant return of Chris's fruity corner. We can't miss that. The, sure. and the ladies love it. The anticipation is mounting. Yeah. yeah. Right, that's Sound it. That's it. Night. Good night, folks. There'll be some more mounting as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I could wish that. Well, in your anyway. Time, I can watch <laughs> yes. Are you an angel? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's just wrong, isn't it? There's a massive age gap between them. Oh, my God. Well, anyway. It's three years, so. Mm. Uh, it's about five. Anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> Physical age. We'll get anyway, to that. unfortunately for us. Unfortunately for you, dear listener, today we are reviewing Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, starring Ewan McGregor, Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Jake Floyd, Ian McDonald, Ray Park, voiced by Peter Serafinowicz, Terence Stamp, Hugh Koshy, Brian Blessed, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and written and directed by George Lucas, oh, and scored by John Williams, and released in 1999. Yes, oh I, I remember going to the cinema to see this. Yeah, Twice. Mm. Oh dear, poor you. Yeah, so I <laughs> flew to America to see this. I thought the wonder he was quite bitter about it in the second season. It's spaced. I want my money um, back. <laughs> yeah. Well, Simon, Simon Pegg kind of made his career off taking the piss out of this film. He really did. Yeah, I mean, he actually, he actually made to the point uh, where it, it feels a bit smug now to me. Mm, yeah, so. I, to- I totally take your point, but um, 
yeah, this was we we just for anyone listening outside of this country, we didn't get it till July. Yeah. So um, yeah, you would think that would dampen expectations. Well, firstly, the internet was around. A lot of us were using it, but it, it didn't have the absolute saturation it did na- it does now. There was no Twitter or anything. Was there? Social media the same way. So I think we we I think we knew that it wasn't that well received. I think Amazon Messenger was uh, probably the equivalent. Was MySpace up at that point? No, no, no. No, no I think I was, use, I was using Yahoo. Okay. They had the, all the Yahoo chat rooms and yeah. I do remember, yeah, Yahoo. I do remember MySpace, though, as a precursor to Facebook. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You didn't, oh, even, sure. you didn't Google things back then. You altavistaed them or Google or InfoSeek. <laughs> InfoSeek, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> or you asked um, Jeeves. The problem with InfoSeek is I used it the very first day I had the internet to have a good look around. Then I realised thereafter everything I'd searched for would type would show up as soon as you typed anything in the box. Oh dear. I, I very, very quickly found a different search engine. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? it was like, oh well, what, first day on the internet, how did you get on? Well, girlfriend I love very much. Um, <laughs> I, I just, you know, He's an early head. adopter of oh, deleting your search history. Articles. <laughs> there was um, all I re- what I do remember is I moved in I was in a student house at the time uh, we were aware of poor word of mouth but I cannot remember wherefore it may have even been in the printed press um, the novelization came out I believe and I may be wrong on any of this because it is all clouded by memory but the novelization came out around the time I think the film came out in the United States so towards the end of one academic year, I, I could read the book. And then over the sort of summer break, we'd literally not long gone off for the summer. Um, the film came out. And I just remember somebody bought the book and read it from my student house. And they were sat going, it's actually, it's, there's not much there. It's, it, you know. And he passed me this relatively thin book. And sure enough, the book was boring. But for all of that... Um, as much as I'll try and go and watch films and be really objective about them as far as I can, this was one of those examples where we, we were just all deluded, all of us. Now, I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of people who um, didn't like it, and I'm sure, and, and admitted straight away they didn't like it, and I'm sure there were people who did enjoy it. And in fact, like, as we go through it, I might even mention one or two I knew. But there's no doubt I, I went and saw what I think I know in my heart of hearts was an underwhelming film and then convinced myself I really liked it. And I think that went right on right the way until um, episode two. Um, But there's one bit of the film that we'll get to when we go through it in order where I did have that thought in the cinema and quickly stamped on it in my mind. I remember being sat in the screen. I remember what screen it was. I can picture myself there in Liverpool. Um, and I just remember thinking, I'm a bit bored. <laughs> and then I stamped it down as quickly as possible and came out going, I liked it. I don't know what the problem is. Um, <laughs> You're basically it, in it, denial. It, totally, totally in denial. More than I've ever been for anything else. Now, I've gone and seen things that have been less than um, great. Die Another Day springs to mind in 2002. Funny enough, shot by the same took, person, the same cinematographer. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was. That's why. The same horrible aesthetic. Well, <laughs> that's why it looks so good. Less so, less so this one in some respects, but we'll get to that. Um, but I've I've come out of films before not acknowledging their full horror. Let's put it that way. 
And sometimes average films I've thought of great, but I cannot think of an example like this where I came out telling everyone, not raving about it, but telling everyone, don't understand the hate. Hey, it's it's a Star Wars film and it's good. Um, it took me years to see it, but when I think back on it now, yes, I was bored at the time, and now I've stopped trying to convince myself with anything with the Star Wars or and or Lucasfilm branding on it is outstanding. Um, I can see a ton of faults with it. And it's a relatively difficult watch for me now because it's quite thin and quite dull. But it does, at least to me, look a little bit more like a Star Wars film than the other two prequels. So that's my opening thought. <clears throat> this was kind of probably the first example for me of, I guess, the kind of the internet hype. Because, I mean, we got, we first got the internet and, and dial up. Um, as you had it um, in, I think it was 97. So throughout that time, starting from that time, that was when it really started to ramp up. And um, you had kind of like the early days of the ForceNet um, website and stuff like the Force.net um, and kind of the way the internet now works. I mean, I remember getting some, uh, I think it was just, it was something in, like a comic book cover or style drawing it was in like one of the newspapers and I scanned it in and I sent it to the net, and it was put up as a kind of example of oh this was posted here and it's the same thing that happens now but that this was kind of the first time I'd really experienced that so like whenever you get any little thing that, that comes up um, that would be an idea of that's going to be in this film it's like um when they did, they didn't. They and um, the first of the Vanity Fair specials on the on the Phantom Menace, and um, just one of, one of the spreads um, in there was a big photo of Obi Wan um, versus Darth Maul um, in the desert in a desert kind of setting. So that was kind of a surprising thing when that turned up not to be in the film. So then it was building and building and building and on on the internet and. Um, Kind of, I was, I kind of be glued to um, like children's BBC, and and also at the same time, I think it was around the same time that BBC, the twenty four BBC News channel, um, had kind of really started to be popular. Um, so you get kind of like the American reports and stuff, and I'd speak to people in America, and you'd have different views on that, and some people said they liked it, some people said they didn't like it, and uh, and then you had to kind of the critic reviews and stuff, which generally just were not great at all, apart from the usual kind of people like Empire and things like that. I think Empire gave it four, four stars. Yeah. I did. It, it gave next week's five stars. Beat <laughs> me to the punch, Chris, exactly that. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, and then I saw it, and I genuinely loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I saw it 13 times at cinema. Fuck! <laughs> And I loved it. If you can beat that target, let us know. I loved it. I I was married to someone I'm not sure I saw that much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I loved it every single time. Um, And it wasn't until Attack of the Clones came out and kind of watching that a couple of times and everything, the cracks really started to show. I don't know what happened, really. It just kind of, I just did a complete 180 on it. And um, and I guess maybe it was just being caught up in the hype, all of that, 
um, and being so excited for a new Star Wars film. But I genuinely loved it when I whenever I saw it. I didn't find any of it boring. I didn't find any of it. Nothing kind of um, stood out as as being terrible or anything. Um, I mean, I, I guess it was a completely subjective um, experience. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until watching seeing Attack of the Lines um, where it started to kind of I started to look at it objectively. And then look at what the problems were. And then I kind of went through a bit of a self-loathing period for about it. Um, and the kind of, oh, well, how could I be so stupid for liking this film? Blah, 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 blah. And to be honest, I kind of flip-flopped for ages and ages and ages. Um, especially since uh, around that time as well, kind of the internet discussion forums um, really kicked off. Um, by kind of Attack of Clones and Revenge of the Sith, um, they were kind of in kind of full force as well. So it's it's, it's almost it's, it's kind of going out and uh, and kind of just just seeing what was potentially your favourite thing, um, just being bashed again and again and again. And there was kind of quite a bit kind of just against Star Wars in general. I remember because because I think because of that, just a bit of fallout. Um, and uh, and it's just it's taken a long time to kind of just be able to really look at the uh, the pluses and the minuses for it, and I think there are a lot of both. I think it gets it certainly gets too much of a slating than perhaps it deserves, especially compared to Attack of the Clones, um, which I think is is truly terrible. Yeah, because um, I think it's still considered <clears throat> by a majority. Uh, of yeah. the first six, it's it's considered the worst of the first six. It's considered the worst of the prequels. That's not a uniform view. There's there's people that disagree, but I think that's still seen mm. as, as the case. And I have to say, and I think the reason that that I think after me, it seemed sensible to ask you, Charlie, and go in like age order is we're the two that would have been most affected by hype. And I think it's fair to say, there's never been a film like this in our lifetime. And I include I include the Force Awakens in that, in that it had been sixteen years, and also the base of how good Star Wars films were was higher than it is now because the Force Awakens comes back and it's like well the prequels weren't amazing, um, no nothing, for all its flaws nothing could have met the level of hype, particularly particularly as a trilogy introduction. No, you're right. The, the the hype was just just crazy. You see it when you. I mean, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But you see it when you watch the beginning, the documentary on the making of this. Yeah. I mean, they they are getting so excited when in in the as they get through the door to to the midnight screenings, they fall into the floor and oh my god! Well, it's literally like your childhood returning back to you. It's that yeah, thing I don't that you know. It's... It. I, I think that's. I think it would have been slightly more muted in this country just because of cultural differences. But there's no doubt we would have had excited people at midnight screenings oh, yeah, cosplaying yeah. as well. So I don't want to knock it. You know, it's just and, and to be the first through the door, you know, to it. There's never been anything like this. Uh, it, it was absolutely huge. I, I remember it was the same year as like The Matrix. So it was quite um, a prominent year for me because it was the same year I uh, did my GCSEs. So like you know, yeah, I left school, started going to college and that, and got my first job and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was kind of like a poignant year, 
Uh, and I remember watching it not as a. See, I, I would I would say out out of the four of us, I'm probably like the lesser of a Star Wars fan. You know, I like I liked it, uh, and I was excited for it. But I don't have don't think I had the same emotional investment. But my opinion is kind of like slap bang in the middle of between Dave and Charlie in this one. Like I kind of I, I really enjoyed it. I had a really good cinematic experience watching it in the cinema. Uh, I don't I I think. Honestly, I, I didn't think it. I thought it was particularly great, but I, I thought as a as a blockbuster film, it did the job, and I was like excited for what it was doing next, which I think was kind of like why episode two was a letdown. Um, whether whether it was like where Charlie sort of said we only won episode two when the cracks started to show, and you realised oh crap. So I was always kind of like a mild defendant of this film, and watching this with fresh eyes today, I'm kind of sad to say, I can kind of see why everyone fucking hated it. <laughs> um, uh, but, I, but I understand it was a weird sort of hype machine at the time, I think why everyone just kind of like, just really wants to love it so much that it, nothing was going to stop people from having that opinion from the offset. Um but it's a I... fascinating thing about the human brain, isn't it? Though, I mean, no wonder it's possible to plant, fa- you know, false memories and and things like that. That the human capacity for self delusion is massive. Now, I mean, again, a Bond example, Spectre. Now, I don't dislike Spectre particularly. I've got real, real problems with it, but there's no. I came out going, that's that's brilliant. I loved it. And you know that the 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 ability to convince yourself of something with the with the evidence in front of your eyes saying something quite different is is stunning. Yeah, I th- absolutely. I think it's I think it's an easy when you're excited for something and you have like an investment because I think I'll, I'd be like the same. Um, I'd I'd be excited for a new Bond film. Um, yeah. Though I sometimes I'm a bit quick, overcritically sometimes it's like God damn it! I'll probably be one of the negative ones uh, watching Star Wars if I was that much of a Star Wars fan. But yeah, Chris always slates it if he's not at least fellated during acting. <laughs> <laughs> like I could probably like talk about the film and sound like I absolutely hate it, but four stars. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I just talk about the things I didn't like about the film. So that's the way you got a balls. <laughs> Um, but no, like I, I remember, I remember really enjoying it. Um, so uh, I think we had a few corny moments, but watching it now, it just felt really wooden. Felt direction felt really bad. The decisions felt really bad. But set, some of the um, the action scenes, like the pod racing bit and the lightsaber duels, are pretty decent. I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the excitement was like, oh my god, looking like Jedi's at their peak doing all this kind of stuff. And plus, it's with new technology, we can actually see some cool shit now. I think that was kind of like the the thing we were looking at, going like, woo, distraction from the the terrible everything else. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's there's microcosms of that through the series that we'll get to one next week, and we, we've alluded to it already. Where there's a, a scene that at the time you went wow, and now you just up your face going oh my god yeah. um, I mean, the Anakin wanking scene the Anakin wanking scene <laughs> I was one. cupping my face he was cupping um, <laughs> she's going, mom, mom. but I, also, I, I also think another element was uh, for whatever reason Jar Jar Binks just didn't irritate me didn't irritate me at the time but I think some of that is again the Spectre example that I was so primed to for that sort of Bond 
Blofeld link, which is terrible. There's no doubt about it. But I was so ready for it going in. It was like, yeah, whatever. I think I, think <laughs> I was expecting the screen to catch fire when it happened or something. The fact that it continued working as a film vaguely, I was like, well, that's brilliant then. And I think the same is true of Jar Jar. That's one thing I do remember that I was vaguely aware going in. We had this old digital character from something called the Gungans. I, I do remember hearing that. And I, I did have someone who had like a CD-ROM. That tells you how long ago it was with promotional pictures and all that. And I did hear before I went in, it was he was horrific. Um, but again... Oh, I'm at best. This film could never have lived up to the hype, but nothing could ever have been as bad as this was trailed to be. What do you remember of it, Becky? About 15 when this came out. Yeah, probably like similar to Chris, really. Um, I think it was around that sort of time where, you know, I was just sort of obviously, obviously going to the cinema, um, but also becoming like, aware of films and how they're made and probably reading things like Total Film, Empire, things like that. Um, I just looked at, on their website and they've downgraded episode two to two to three stars. So, <laughs> so that's quite interesting. Um, that's still a compromise, isn't it? That's, that's, still, that's yeah, still a compromise. We can't drop it anymore, can we, folks? We gave it five stars. Well, yeah. It's probably just a, a different review by a different person, I imagine. Well, it is, it is, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to be different. I think, yeah, I think the five-star one was Chris Hewitt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely. And he's embarrassed by it to this day. I was going to say, yeah, he doesn't. He probably doesn't humans. tell people now. He, he does the joke about beings. it, so he does, like... He, he, he does take on the chin regularly, so... Yeah, it's... Um, oh, who is it? Let me just see. Colin Kennedy. But that was updated last summer, July 2016. I think he writes for a few different publications. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think with Jar Jar, definitely, um, it was certainly squarely aimed at, at children, even though kids, you know, love a bit of tax and, you know, trade <laughs> embargoes and all that shit. Kids love tax. Yeah. You can't get them onto anything serious. Once they get once they get into rebates and the tax deducted upon expenses, once they get into trade disputes. Wow, got them hooked. They love oh, that shit. Dear. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, similar to Chris, really. Um, sort of going to see it at the cinema. Um, I can't remember how many times I see it. Maybe the once, maybe more. I can't remember. Um, I think I was probably more into Bond than Star Wars. Um, obviously looking forward to There Was Not Enough. Huge, oh, I saw a trailer for that. that. Wait for this. Pardon. I remember seeing a trailer for that. Watching this. Yes, I but think, that I was think it was a teaser. That's what I was just coming to. Yeah, uh, and the bit I remember, the bit I remember, the only bit I remember from the trailer is the bit where he goes first things first, where she says <laughs> someone's going to have my butt. I think they said the trailer. <laughs> first things first. And he just and looks her up and down. And he goes first things first. And in isolation, that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of does that look, doesn't he? It's like first things first. <laughs> You also had um, cool. the Austin Powers sequel as well, and that riffed off uh, Star Wars. Becca's all right with anal jokes if it's Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't see it, that's why. We did. Well, I suppose we You do, but it cuts away very quickly. Yeah. All right. But yeah, we also had the, uh, the Austin Powers trailer that riffed on Star Wars as well. It's like, if you see one movie this year, see Star Wars. Austin Powers. But Star if Wars. you see two <laughs> movies. Yeah. Oh, so many good movies that year. 99 was actually a pretty decent year. Yeah, yeah somewhere in 1999. Yeah, uh, don't mention Wild Wild West, though, but yeah. Oh, mm. that's what I meant. All right. Excluding <laughs> <laughs> Wild West. <laughs> no, I've still never seen Wild Wild West because that, that, that arrived dead. That was dead on arrival. That was pretty much. And I just thought, well, I'm not bothering then. It sounds terrible. So sorry, Becca, what did you did you enjoy it? Um, I think so. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to be, obviously, it's, you know, not, not too 
like the baby of the bunch, but obviously I'm a little bit younger than Chris, so it's probably going to be a similar sort of experience, really. And we're going to see it at the cinema. I quite liked it. Um, obviously, I think by then, like the you know the original trilogy had been re-released in the cinemas. Um, and, but you know, Dad took me along to go and see it. Um, and it was pretty good. Um, I think it was, it was probably like a little bit a little bit slow in terms of its pacing. But obviously, highlights obviously the pod race, um, the droid battle at the end, fight choreography. Um, Ray Park obviously was was huge at the time, and I think he popped up at the. Um, Men in Black sequel, I think. What was the original Men in Black film? He was in X Men. X Men, that was it. X Men as well. He was Toad. He was Toad. Yep, definitely. Do you yeah, know what happens when lightning hits Toad? It, yeah, that was. All. <laughs> Do you know what happens when a Toad gets hit by lightning? Yeah. Same thing as everything else. Oh my god. Yeah. We're gonna so have to do the X Men franchise. Nothing that specific, then, really. No, no, sure, <laughs> it's not. We're gonna have to do the X Men franchise at some point. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I sort of said it's in a mark of, you know, quite enjoyed it. Um, but then, yeah, similar sort of thing when episode two came along. It's just like, oh. Um, and kind of obviously, because I like sort of like different characters and all the aliens and different voices and stuff. I found Jar Jar Binks quite funny. But obviously now as you get older. How um, old? How old? Squeeze me. That's the thing. Jar Jar does fall into that sweet spot of like my perception of your sense of humour, Becca, in that I'm 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 50-50 on whether you think it was really funny or awful. I find his voice quite funny to be honest. He was incredibly, incredibly racist. Obviously, as you get older and you mature <laughs> and you realise these things, oh, actually, he's actually an offensive stereotype. Mm. And you just think, oh, dear. But I just kind of found his voice quite funny. And just all the kind of spoonerisms mm. and kind of pigeon... Pigeon English for us to throw lots of, you know, mishmats of words there. And it, I just kind of find his voice quite funny, to be honest. The amount of times, you know, I've heard the term, how rude, uh, oh. been said. You know, it, it's kind of, you know, I think, think that must have come from this film. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't think of where else it might have come from. How rude. Uh, it, it, Chris does frequently try to molest Ahmed best. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be that. I was at um, about 2010 I was on like just a holiday a foreign holiday and I was sat at the airport and we were like delayed to come back and I have no idea how we got onto the subject but Star Wars got mentioned and there was like a family who had about three kids there and the kids were like, I don't know, something like 11, 7, and 3, something like that. So there's an 11-year-old girl talking to me and my then wife quite a lot. And Star Wars got mentioned, and she went, oh, I used to love Star Wars. And she meant when she was like a toddler or five or something like that. And it does – I know that there's a lot of competition out there and a lot of um, – a lot of other franchises and a lot of other entertainment, but it does seem that whilst it hit its target audience largely at the time, and we can argue about whether that target audience is the same as for the original trilogy, because I I do think it's aimed at like a lot younger. Believe I think I think the original trilogy was aimed at like twelve, thirteen year olds, and this is aimed at like six, seven, or eight year olds. Um, but she'd grown out of it by the age of 10 or 11. And we're sat here at the age we are, we are talking about how much we still love Star Wars. And I just think that's the thing about the prequels, that it might have scratched the itch at the time for a certain demographic, but it didn't really stay with them. Well, it's not much really to stay, though, isn't it, really? Like, I, I don't, you know, it's like we said, we don't really know what things like trade federations and tax... I mean, it's, it's quite... The thing is, though, the plot is kind of like, in terms of, like, the plot, the... There's a lot of politics in it. Like, you know, and it's, it's not that I don't appreciate what George Lucas was trying to do or say with that, 
but God, look, he's not the best writer, he's not the best director. Like, the way I view the prequels, and I think the same could be said for this film, like, if if this was handled differently, it's like, say, say, say like, you kept the basic generic story of the, of the prequels, of, like, George, George Rowe, and you just got, like, someone who could actually write dialogue and know how to, like, plan scenes, and a director who can actually you know, get performances and get tension and emotion out of the characters and build, build relationships, we would have a lot better trilogy. Um, but in broad strokes, I don't think there's much wrong with the plot, but the it's how it's executed, and it, the problem is it's awful. Like Jar Jar Binks, for example. Um, you, you look at his character and you think, right, well, if, if he was like... If I'm best kind of did him in more normal, sort of straightforward voice and like handled his character the way he should be handled as in terms of, oh, he's an outcast and he's unwilling to go back, but he has to because he's bound by a duty to to protect the, the Jedi because they saved his life and he gets involved in that kind of stuff. There's actually a story of a of, of possible character development there, but it's just kind of like lost in this kind of really shitty CGI, lame, comedic, thing that all that completely just fucks everything and it, up and, and i think i think it's stuff like this chris that leads directly to people like you talking about cg now as like inferior in some way and whilst i've always taken your point on it i think that i think cg as a mass market thing now perhaps you've got to do it to be able to develop it but I do feel it became a massively used tool a long time before it was even remotely ready. Now, if I watch the special editions of the original three, it, I don't know how much money they put to it, but I mean, it made a lot of money in cinemas that summer. Uh, the original Star Wars film added about 300 odd million to its take in that summer. So I don't know how much they put to it, but it's certainly come a long way since 97. Yeah. But it just wasn't ready. And watching it today... Uh, in sort of 2K resolution, it, it all looks very plasticine-y. Yeah, some scenes, do, some scenes do look quite good, but towards, like, the droid battle towards the end, I think I would agree with you there. But I, it's interesting about it saying that at that time, like, 97, 99, not ready. I think George Lucas's vision was, like, at that particular point in time, he felt that CG was at a point where it was ready. Therefore, he was ready to kind of make the rest of this, rest of this series. I do, I do agree entirely. That's what he thought. I'm saying, with the benefit of hindsight now. Yeah, maybe you should have waited. Thought, well, have a look at Caesar, then have a look at like Jar Jar Binks, and Jabba. Exactly. Jabba looks made out of plasticine. Now he's miles ahead of the '97 special edition version, but as an effect, it's creaking quite badly now. How do we rate CGI Yoda? There's also a, a shot I, that really stood out today. CGI Yoda looks okay. That was done years afterwards as well. But when you look at... There's also a bit when they're either preparing or... No, it's after. After the pod race, there's a humanoid interacting with Sebulba. And and I think touching Sebulba as well. Like on the shoulder or whatever passes for his shoulder. And it looks horrible. It looks awful as a shot. I'm just saying in hindsight that he was able to do quite a lot with it. But it's not held up very well at all, the prequels, as, as the CG. For me, anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it hasn't dated very well. I'll, I'll, I'll agree agree with that. I mean, at the time, I didn't, didn't remember having a, a problem with it. Um, but regardless of you know the quality of the CGI character, you know there is a character there that could have been done better. I think yes. that's kind of what I was saying. Even like 
in terms of like how he fits into the story, it could have been handled so much better and it couldn't have been as bad as it was. But I think the same could be said for everything, every other aspect of this film. Most of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, talking of that, most of it, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Go on then. Uh, should we? Should we? Should we continue? Should we continue the, the the format we've so carefully developed of having Charlie forced to through. remember the crawl at short notice? What's in the crawl, Charlie? <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah. Spot. It, it is literally. Um, He's got you googling it on his phone. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, try, I'm trying to remember what it is, and yeah, it's. The sad fact is, though, like, all that stuff about the train fare is so fucking boring, I can't even remember what, what is going yeah, on. Like yeah, the, the train station have blocked Na- the planet of Naboo um, over a dispute in taxation. And then, yeah, they've dispatched, secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights to try and... I, I don't know how you blockade a planet. Resolve. It's got to be difficult. <laughs> okay. Mm. And it's a trade route as well. You could fly around it, surely. <laughs> it's, it's all a MacGuffin, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's not really about trade dispute or, you know, tax it's dispute. It's not. How can a man who is, at this point, raising three children, if you watch the beginning, the commentary we've already referred to, the shot of the first, one of the earlier shots of the film is 1994, and he sits down to longhand write his first draft. Mm. Uh, but the first thing you see his do is getting his like kids ready for school. So he, he's, he's living with young kids. Now, if you ask me to make something that would appeal to kids, I could have a guess, but I think I'd probably be a bit off with it because it's been a long time since I was one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas had young kids in his life. What made him think, well, tax in the Senate, they'll love it. We always get like sort of kids authors, um, like, um, Oh, Charlie Hickson. I was going to call him something else. I forgot his name. Um, yeah, Charlie Hickson wrote Young Bond when he was writing Young Bond series. Obviously, he would always run things, you know, against his his two boys. Yeah. Sort of growing up. Um, yeah, how many people did you shag and kill at school this year? Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> we don't know what I mean. Sort of, like, you know, if you're kind of doing something that's maybe aimed at the younger market. Um, obviously, if you're writing creative and you've got a young family, I, I'd probably do the same. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. All right. So basically, the call establishes. <laughs> That the Senate no, basically, <laughs> Crawl establishes that the Senate have sent two Jedi's to try and negotiate and enter this trade dispute to do with uh, tax, basically to do with taxation of trade routes. Now I don't know if he's got kind of like the American Wars of Independence in his head or something, taxation and all that shit. Very possibly, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I, something f- felt wrong. A, a couple of things felt wrong while I was watching the film. And some of them, I don't. I sort of vaguely felt something wasn't quite right. And some things, I definitely had the thought and stomped on it. The first thought was, they get their lightsabers out well too fucking early. You get some very stilted dialogue about being... Is that where we get be mindful of the living force? Yeah. Yeah. And then their lightsabers are out in a flash. And it's one of my problems with the, the sequels, uh, prequels generally. There's nothing special about any of it. I, I find some of the music, I mean, I, I do love the score, but some of the music as well, like the, you get the Star Wars kind of theme busted out really, really early. It's like, you know, Bond movie, when he does something particularly Bondian, you hear, and it's just like, save it, you know, just save it a little bit. Yeah, the, it's basically, it's a trap. Yeah. Uh, they've gone there to yeah the Nemoidians 
are in direct um, contact with the hologram of, well, it's Palpatine, isn't it? I don't think we need to keep that spoiler. <laughs> the IQ of this film is so low. It's like he looks when awfully you... lot like Darth Sidious. It's awfully lot like the Emperor in, in Jedi. No, I don't say, no. But it's just like, and he's called Sidious. And oh, you just no. think, like, well, when it was Luke, uh, uh, no, I am your father, that was genuinely shocking. Whereas nothing in the prequel is surprising at well, all. They, yeah, they have to bridge. We were talking about this in the chat. You do have to, you know, bridge the gaps. I mean, as, as I say, it's not about tax disputes and all the rest of it. It's about how he wheedles himself to become chancellor. And yeah, it's a lot of like how you know. It's, it's, I think it's Lucas got the idea of like how does one sort of manipulate himself into power, and he sort of. So he's, he's trying to like over-explain it kind of way. Of, well, this would be kind of really interesting and kind of way to do it. Um, but but so it's, it's you know to Amy Donald's um, Amy Donald's I can't pronounce his surname. Um, Dormund. That's the one. Is it <laughs> Ian? Um, as a, you know, that's to his advantage as a you know as, as an actor. Um, what I thought was kind of odd about the film is, and I, I, I I'm with watching it now, watching it today, I kind of had. I, f- I kind of thought, hang on, this is kind of a little bit... It reminded me a little bit of the last Alien film with Michael Fassbender, where it kind of felt like unsure whether it was going to be a plot twist. It's like, well, it's kind of obvious what, what, what you know, that, that he is Palpatine. Yeah. But we kind of like, we, we're kind of unsure whether we're going to treat it like if, it, like if it's a, a yeah. big reveal. So He'll uh, take the coat off in the third one and he'll be Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, do you know what I mean? It just felt like a little bit... It's too obvious. Yeah, yeah surely like, they're not they giving it away this early. They haven't decided in which direction they're going to go. I mean, like you could have easily just had Palpatine as himself with Darth Maul in a, you know, in a scene, and we would have got like, oh, this would have given us tension. This would have been like, oh, I don't like this guy. He's obviously... The problem when you go through it like this is we're supposed to build up to all the plot reveals, and at that point we find out X, but it's so fucking obvious the moment you see Palpatine as Palpatine, representing Naboo, that you think, right, well, Sidious is engineering that in order to get Palpatine the clout to become Chancellor. That's quite obvious about four scenes into the film. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're there to basically break up a blockade, but they get attacked by all the droids and shit. The droids are fucking awful in this because they're so fragile. They do look fake. In the the Lego Star Wars games, they're really easy to destroy. Yeah. But then the whole point is he wants them to build up towards the clones and all the rest of it. Yeah, and then when that finally happens, there's just not much of a payoff, really. No. Where's the, what's the next scene after this opening one where they... Oh, do, we, do we see Amidala at this point? Yes. Yeah, they have like a conversation. I love all the, the costumes and makeup that she has. is incredible. One thing Different I do love about these people, well, all the, this, this series and Hulk, is just basically like the makeup and the costumes and the hair and... Everything, I love it. I ceremonially, I quite like it. The idea of the queen and she looks different in every scene. But I mean, there's one scene. I think it might be when she's with Palpatine back on Coruscant later, where she's got like lamps built into the train of her dress. Mm. And you think, no, no wonder the acting is so stiff. She can't fucking move. <laughs> I think I, was, I saw those and I thought, well, they must be quite heavy. Yeah, that's the thing. You you've got to keep if you're going to keep the dress looking right, you've got to move very very stiffly. But the gist is, she's trying to negotiate on behalf of her planet because it's her planet that effectively being starved. Mm. This garden planet where they could grow anything is being starved. 
<laughs> so we're off to a rollicking start. <laughs> Where do we go from this? We've done the they've done the bit where the Jedi like got attacked, haven't they? And they did all the Jedi stuff. All the Jedi stuff. <laughs> the Jedi stuff. I mean, yeah, that, that, that bit was quite quite fun because you, you got got them actually sort of shit scared of them like shit Jedi, um, and they they basically escape and they they escape on the boo and then run into Jar Jar. There really isn't much to this film, is there? Uh, yeah, they basically. <laughs> There's a lot of padding. I've, I've managed to get like all, I was kind of you know sort of glued to it, but I managed to get all my notes literally on one small piece of basics. I'm like, hmm. Well, at least this at least this podcasting going to be three hours, folks. Let's just. <laughs> Well, the film's like turn uh, a bit. So, long, uh, isn't it? so yeah, they they run into they run into Jar Jar and like Jar Jar think, oh, you saved my life, and now I oh, you're a life debt, and they're like, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> and I think probably half the audience are going off, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. Brian Blessed as boss now, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. So All right, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let's slow down very slightly, I and mean, we may not get a three hours, but. There's <laughs> 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 a really great um, British cast in this movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, one, now they've one of the got few a, redeeming features. They meet Jar Jar Binks, who is how would we describe Jar Jar Binks for anyone who Racist. hasn't seen the film? That's not a description. That's a character. Um, what is in the, oh, no, he, of how he looks? Yeah, he's very tall. He's got long, kind of long ears. Reptilian kind of. He's kind of a mixture of a reptile and a horse. Yeah, you he's got like a horse face, doesn't he? You can imagine his bones being like pure um, cartilage. Mm. He's very, very. Um, Nimble, very, very um, quite bendy. Bendy, that's the word. Oh, he's got very long limbs. Now, listeners, if you're worrying how I found out that Jar Jar Binks is bendy, please remember he's fictional. Um, <laughs> so they go to. I have to say, the the film they are guided to the Gungan homeworld, which is or the homeland, which is an underwater city. And they fl- they f- swim down there using the sort of stuff from Thunderball. Yeah, we read it from Thunderball, isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> Prop master forgot which film series he was doing. <laughs> First, really beautiful shot of the film, though, the Gungan City. It does look good, doesn't it? It's literally like Atlantis, I imagine. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Now, they get, it turns out they they get there and walk through these kind of permeable glass walls. Uh, that kind of like gel, um, and they see the Gungan leader Boss Nass, who's played by Brian Blessed. And at this point, virtually, you can see why Ewan McGregor got really pissed off with this because, like, everything around him, apart from Liam Neeson, isn't there. It's got to be quite difficult to act against. Yeah, he does it quite convincingly, though. I think, to his credit. Um, I think he's better in the subsequent weeks, but I don't think it's necessarily his fault. He's not given a lot to do in this. Yeah, I think I think I think I said before. I think Neeson carries this film, and he Ewan does, yeah. carries the other two films. He's, he's still very much like Ewan McGregor. Still very much like, yeah. Obviously, the, the part of a learner at this stage and isn't doesn't have the Jedi Knight status until right at the very well, end. It, it strikes me that they've got to have him in the film, and later on, he's just left on the ship to look stand, looking a bit concerned. And do they, a. They don't give him a lot There's two half interesting characters in this film. They're both fucking killed off. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Um, so they, they've got to get transportation through the planet core to, like, the capital city of the planet. To, for some reason, they've got to go through the planet core. And this is the bit where I thought I'm a bit bored. 
because <clears throat> they're owned a life debt by Jar Jar Binks, so he goes with them. Lucky for us. Um, <laughs> and they're chased by some creature who's then like captured by or bitten by another. <gasps> Very like there's there's Chris's uh, there's Chris's uh, sound effects of what that would sound like, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's just like the bit for those of you who haven't seen this, who hasn't seen the Phantom Menace, but it, it's very like uh, Kirk on the Star Trek. Planet. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, one after him and then a bigger one sort of jumps. Yeah, away. there's, there's always a bigger fish was his line. Um, and I just remembered looking at my watch at that point and just thinking, oh, it bored. And they're going, no, you're not. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, how how much it drags for a lot of the film. Like like the the, the worst part is when I'm on Tatooine thinking fucking how how like how long is it going to take to get to that blooming pod racing scene? I know it wouldn't have worked from from a, a point of view of like storytelling, but you kind of just wished that it had been like the end of a view to a kill. They just sort of swooped in and just fucking grabbed Anakin by the scruff of the neck on the way by. And that would have been it. <laughs> That'll do, you got him. <laughs> <clears throat> so, they rescue Amidala, and I can't remember exactly how that happens. The meeting of the Queen and all that. They just jump off a yeah, they just, like, yeah, top just, of a building type thing. and It's, it's just like in a courtyard somewhere, just like sort of like yeah. jump in and just oh, take yeah. out the... It's all really perfunctory, isn't it? It's all like, there, there's nothing until Maul that's even a threat. Well, no, not really. Because they could deflect anything. The droids can be, like, mind-pushed out of the way, force-pushed out of the way, because they're just so feeble. And the moment they're even touched by a lightsaber, it just goes right through them. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's They're just, they're just disposable fodder, aren't they? So, okay. yeah. So they get off the planet, but they're still being pursued. <clears throat> yes, they, and then they decide to go to Tatooine, because it's, like, out of... No, but before that, we get... Fucking R two D two getting a gym will fix it badge. Oh shit, yeah. No, well, was it necessary to have these two? Like, I know C three P comes later on, but was it? Is it necessary to have these two droids in, in the in the in the prequels? They have to show kind of where they came from and how they met. Do they? It's basically the, like origin story, kind of a little bit ish. Do they? But, mm, but it's it's a bit kind of unnecessary here. It's a bit extraneous. Gonna maybe just, wait till next week. It shrinks the universe. Everybody knows everybody. And like the, the droids turn up, and I, think maybe I mean, I've got a bigger problem of... with three PO because that is clearly an off-the-shelf model. Yeah. So unless <laughs> Anakin's bought a fucking kit, has he really made it himself? Hmm. It's just like, it's just like uh, that thing in Robot Chicken where like they do the scene when Empire when he cuts off Luke's hands and says, "I am your father," and, <laughs> and then and just they just spurts out all the stuff in the in the prequels like they made the Chlorians and like and I, I built see three PO. <laughs> it's like if you're not going to take this shit seriously, I'm out. So they've got to get away. I think they've got to get. They, they've got to get to hyperspace, haven't they? And basically, R two D two mends something in time, and then gets yeah. a hero's worship. What did you think, Charlie? I really like that scene. Actually, I mean, it, it's it's it is something that has always been consistent, and Lucas has always said that the the kind of real constants throughout all the stories. Has also be, always been R two D two and three three P. Yeah. Um, and while it's kind of gone from being through their point of view, which was kind of like the original idea, I think that is kind of consistent with what he's always stated. So I can I can forgive for that. 
The Force Awakens through R2D2 point of view would have been really static, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at a wall for two hours. And then quick visit to meet Luke. Credits. Okay, so they, they, the ship gets damaged and all of that. R2 basically saves the ship, gets introduced to the Queen. Um, I think at, around that point, we can, if you've, again, if you've got functioning eyes, you can see the Queen doesn't look quite the same sometimes. Yeah, I think it's, it looks like, kind of like Kira Knightley. Because <laughs> it is Kira Knightley. It is. Fun fact, folks. Isn't um, Sophia Coppola as well in, in, in this? As one I've of... got a fun fact about that. Okay. I'll I'll be quiet then. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, to be fair, um, I think yeah, and, and what the handmaidens look suspiciously like now. It's just back to nothing is a surprise though in this film, and you think we're well, like in the first set, even allowing for the fact we were younger, the characters learnt things at the same time as us sometimes. Mm. Whereas in this, things happen, and you go, "Are you fucking dumb? How did you not spot that?" <laughs> but um, so they head for Tatooine, and just the right bit of it as well. And they go to a junk shop. And they meet Watto! Again, another racist stereotype. It, it's what happens when your local rabbi falls in love with Gonzo. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it is basically, whoa. I think there was a little bit of aspect of that in Gonzo as well, but obviously you've got like the gripping nose and like the blue colouring, and you just think, oh dear. It's just a Jewish moneylender, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, it is. Yeah. Shardock through and through. The way so. I've always seen it, anyway. Um, but Anakin's there as, um, as a slave. Yeah, slave boy. Very sad. Now, Jake Lloyd doesn't have to get some shit about this, doesn't he? Yes, I think he retired after this film, didn't he? Claiming because he got bullied and everything. But you still see him at like conventions and he's still I don't, happy to I don't even know if you do now. He's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. No, probably oh, wow. not, 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 not now, but recent, you know, recent... In, in the, in the, yeah, in the last so. You know what? That is such a shame because I remember him doing publicity for this film and I thought he was actually really charismatic and charming like in the interviews. Mm. Uh, and he seemed he seemed like like a really sort of good kid with like he's quite intelligent and that uh, could actually hold a conversation on like some like kids his age like wouldn't be able to. So I thought, oh he's you know, it's, he should have a bright future ahead of him and it just feels like such a shame now. I, I agree. I mean, schizophrenia, who, I don't really know what causes that, so I'm not going to blame this for that. No, no, but it's, certainly it's he didn't usually stress-related, usually. He, he didn't have a happy existence after this. He got a lot of fun poked in school. But in terms of in terms of him, I don't know that I think he's the problem. I, I, again, watching that, that film, The Beginning, we saw the final three. They, they got it down to three young actors of, like, eight years old or whatever. And you see their screen tests, and their screen test is that "Are you an angel?" sequence, which I think you've got to be a genius to come out of looking good. But fair enough. <laughs> um, the first kid they show doesn't look right anyway because he's got very brown hair, but he's really kind of in in his shell doing the scene. I think the whole thing, I think the filming would have broken him. He's just too shy looking. And then you've got another kid who's almost too professional. He looks kind of, he kind of looks the part, he's, you know, blonde hair, looks a bit like Mark Hamill, but he, he's got a very mannered portrayal of the scene. And then Jake Lloyd, you see Jake Lloyd's, and by comparison with those two, he lights the screen up. He's suddenly like, you know, he's suddenly got life in it. I can see why they went with him. 
Yeah, and I don't, you know, it's like, like for anything, I, I do not blame the cast for any of the bad performances they may give. Because I think it's like what you said, Dave, about, you know, Lucas being sort of really sort of particular with the performance. I, I think he's, I think it's like with them giving the dialogue and the direction, I, I, I think they probably gave like the best they probably could, quite frankly. I, I struggle with kids in general. But as actors, I mean, it's just you put you put kids in films and they just don't have enough life experience to be actors. They normally give incredibly wooden performances. Yeah. And it's not their fault. They're children. We'll see the worst one of the worst lines in cinema history in terms of presentation in episode three. I mean, there is one of those things where I think, well, I don't care if that's a kid. George, do as many more takes as you need, because that wasn't good enough. By comparison, Jake Lloyd wasn't too bad, but he was eight years old when they were filming this, I think. And it's like, well, how good do you expect him to be? And at the same time, he's given such awful dialogue. And we'll see next week, you know, the next actor who comes along to play him is barely any fucking better. So I just wanted to say that about Jake Lloyd before we start picking on it, because he's not that bad. I know. The thing is that, like, you know... Watching, he does have a thing about him. He does have like a natural actor thing. Like he's, you know, for, like, how old is it? Eight. I mean, how many fucking eight years are able to do that anyway? You know. Yeah, and and I've had people say like, yeah, but Haley Joel Osment because that that's very same year as the Sixth Sense. Haley Joel Osment's about three years older at yeah. this point, three or four years older, and naturally a lot more gifted anyway. Well, that happens. And was given a better script and probably... And it's rare. We remember Hayley Joel Osment because it's bloody rare to be that good at that age. Mm. I don't so, think he yeah, could ever recreate it really, could yeah. he? But, I mean, we've got problems with the dialogue given to him from the very start. I mean, are you an angel and all that? I'm sat watching this now and I'm thinking, this is fucking cringe-making. <laughs> I think there is a certain element thing when we watch it like back originally, when we were all kind of like enjoying it. We, I think there's a certain element just gives... The, you know, stuffs with kids just to pass. We're like, okay, fine. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's a kid. Whatever. <laughs> we just kind of like let it go. At least he I irritates do. me by the end. But again, it's purely what he's being given to do. Yeah, when he's you like, where he's who's, going, who's gonna who's gonna do well out of these sorts of lines? Yeah, like um, this is pod racing. Like what? Yeah, yeah. That's a good trick. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're in trouble. Yeah. So basically. A racist stereotype and a couple of like guys who look like they've got constipation or something go to meet another racist stereotype and a child for parts. <laughs> um, yes, basically. Um, we also get a scene with um, Sidious, not Palpatine, definitely not Palpatine, but Darth Sidious talking to the uh, the tax people who are not a racial stereotype in any way. <laughs> <laughs> the, what they call the federation um uh the trade federation yeah the yeah. trade federation yeah. that's not that's not revenue and customs though, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's sort of anyway um and they sort of eat you get into the dark ball so he's gonna like search for him yes i'll send my apprentice darth Maul was all over the um uh sort of publicity for this wasn't he charlie yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. He was kind of like Boba Fett, I think. He's probably like, in, in regards to fandom of like, in terms of, he just looked really cool and then didn't 
really need to eyes on him much. It was just kind of like, oh, was that it? That's all we got of him. Yeah, it was disappointing. Now, I can understand that across the six films, he wanted to emphasise Vader. So do you want somebody else fighting for that kind of attention across the films? But, I mean, he was so built up in the build-up to this film. And he did look so cool. And he's in, like, one-in-a-bit scenes, really. Disappointing. It was disappointing. It was, yeah. You think... I understand understand the the notion of killing him off at the end. But you think, okay, well, let's utilise him as much as you can to let him be, like, sort of a larger part of the film. Uh, let's get that. Let's get the most out of him. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> have him in the dinner scene. <laughs> he, he might have been hungry. <laughs> yeah, just sat there. Just sat there. Everyone go like, "This is a bit awkward, isn't it?" Yeah. <laughs> now the dinner scene. Good, isn't it? Jar <laughs> <laughs> Jar's funny. <laughs> oh, what, making, like, burpy noises and doing, doing stuff with his tongue, yeah. Yeah, doing stuff with his tongue. You're leaving these stuff basically teaching manners. Yeah. He does pretty much. Grabbing his tongue and such. So, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Not got much to say about that, but where, where do we go from there? So, this, I think this this part of the film was just really boring. Like, it just, like, it just goes on, it just goes on about, okay, yeah, he's a slave, yes, he's got Jedi powers and there's like yeah there's a bet there's pod racing we've seen he's building um, C-3PO to help his mother because yeah. what she really needs is a protocol droid <laughs> I think what she needs is a stiff drink and a sit down yeah um, yeah um, so <laughs> uh, so free. we've seen that we've seen that he can it, doesn't he talk to uh, doesn't he talk to Shmi her mother about how the boy appears to see things before they happen and stuff yeah, you can sense that he's force sensitive. And find out he's got a high midichlorian count. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? He talks about it was. They <laughs> um, talking about pod racing as well, so we we sense that's coming. Um, and he does take a blood sample and send it to Obi Wan, who's just sat on the ship looking. Send it to the lab. Over yeah. twenty thousand. Yeah, which it, which is completely without context, so meaningless. Is that high? It's off the chart, but we don't know what the chart is. Over maybe, four. Maybe the chart goes up to ten thousand. Well, he does. He does say right away. Said even Master Yoda doesn't have that many. Yeah, but Master Yoda's two feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so in proportion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a question like, in regards to like being force sensitive, can like other Jedi sense if other people are force sensitive? Like, so it's like, oh, actually, you've got, you know, you that are kind of. That to be the suggestion here. But doesn't he talk to Smee about basically Anakin is a virgin birth? Well, yeah, there, there's that sort it's of Christ. One. There's that Christology. It's sort of like, oh, then he doesn't have a father. He just came. Did he? <laughs> okay. <laughs> basically, um, space Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> conceived, possibly conceived by the Force. We don't know. It's not that well explained. But they take his blood anyway and find that he's like, he's just the chosen one. Yeah, like Christ. Uh, yeah. I think I think that's all the the thought Lucas put into it. He's like, yeah, that's, that's that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then they ha- they hatch a plan that if he can win a pod race, they can sort of bet on him for his release. 
And they tried to get his mother really, really briefly. The boy and his mother. No. All right. Just the boy then. <laughs> Fuck her. Who cares? See, what would have happened if, if, if they just took him anyway? You got one pissed off, like, slave owner. Yeah. Uh, what's he going to do? I, I'm not really worried fucking Gonzo's going to chase him across the universe. What's he going to do? <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, Liam Neeson could just literally like, sort of like, oh, how, how, how about you let them go for nothing and I let you live? Deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> okay, so the Jedi are quite fucking thoughtless twats, aren't they? <laughs> so then we get to the pod race. Yeah. Jesus, we're whipping through this. There's nothing in this bit. Well, things are, all the scenes are kind of really boring. I mean, I, I will say this about it. It's one of the, Positives that Lucas does well. Uh, he does. He is good at world building. I, yeah, I did actually quite like uh, the looking at the sort of Naboo and looking at sort of like the Tatooine and like kind of the stuff with the pod race and all different creatures. All that stuff is actually really, really well well thought out. I actually kind of really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's just a shame that the the plot and the dialogue and it's just all badly done and. It's directed in in such a crap way that it just all falls down. So, but yeah, the pod racing bit is probably one of the the highlights of the film, isn't it? I think, especially for a lot of people, there's something to it. I mean, it, it, and the thing is, as much as they talk about um, how much CGs in this film, and they're right, uh, those stands were a miniature. Um, so there's there's a few more practical and effects in it than were realised. I think the only real problem I've got with the um, well, it's quite a big problem as problems go. The big problem with the uh, race, apart from the fact various cuts have changed on that as well as to whether it's one lap, two laps or whatever, is it doesn't actually make any sense when you figure it out. I mean, they're like a lap or two ahead before he gets going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he manages to like beat them. It's and, a good 30 just, seconds of like... Uh, yeah, it, it comes to a point where it's like, I mean, that that's that's even better than a Herbie film. <laughs> for winning Herbie, oh my God. well you know I like Herbie could make up any deficit <laughs> to be like that <laughs> Herbie, right um, it doesn't actually say, it, what it sells me is exceptional reflexes because it's clearly dangerous but I'm not sure that it convinces me extreme talent he's, he's actually just in a phenomenal craft he must be if he can make up a lap just like that well he can charge the other side up and get both engines working can't he when, it, when one fails Charlie, what did you make of this? Um, it's all right. It's quite well put together, I guess, as, a, as an action sequence. Did you think it was overlong? Because I, I thought it what it did start to like drag a I little think, bit. I think I think the, the the original one wasn't, but the, the new one was where they've added the extra lap. Oh, that's probably why then. That definitely is. But I thought it was cut quite well. I noticed there was no use of score as well. But I think that helped. It's much like uh, last week with Jedi. With the with the speed chaser things, there was no there was wasn't used so much score, so it was actually just hear like a lot of like the engines revving. Yeah, not until his engine breaks down anyway. Yeah, and then they use music from earlier in the film. Oh, okay. I don't I don't even know what I have and haven't noticed there. I'm certainly aware most of it is you're hearing the sort of mechanics of the craft mm. or the crafts. It it's not terrible, but and I know there's a plot reason because if he wins this race, he's got to get off the planet. We know that Lucas has a recurring motif of speed. I think if there's one thing the race does very well is sell the 
the illusion of speed. It does that very well. But like a lot of these films, it feels like busy work. They could have they could have worked out any method to get him off this planet, including just fucking taking him. The, si- the thing is, is that this is where Lucas put himself in a fucking hole by the beginning. Is this entire film is just a crawl, or maybe ten minutes of flashbacks or something? The point, the point is that the things that he had already set up in the original trilogy, when he goes, "When I met your father, when I first met your father, he was already a great pilot." Um, but I, I knew in him there was the force or what have you. So he's got to kind of stay true to that. So when everyone first meets him, how how do they do that? Oh, he's doing this fucking podcast thing. And then he gets sent into battle as a nine-year-old and accidentally blows something up. It's bullshit. And it's just, it fucking just destroys that that, that first scene when... when um, when Ben tell, first tells Luke about his father and how evocative that scene is. I know. And then when it I just first met him, he this. was a precocious kid who used to do things by and accident, but he had quite good reflexes. Well, <laughs> for, for me, it's like, oh, he was a great friend. And you're thinking, like, for the entire, entirety of those films, you do nothing but bicker. Like, you do not get on at all. Well, they've never sold us the warmth of the character. I mean, no. I mean, if you're going to film them three years apart, I guess you're going to... If you decide to have it as a nine-year-old in one film and an 18-, 19-year-old next film, you've got to recast, right? I get that. I don't think they should have done that. I think they should have started a bit older and let them age a bit naturally or get someone who looks a bit older than they are or a bit younger than they are, whichever way around you need to do it. But the only time I ever see any warmth or likability in this character is in this film. Because Anakin's not a bad little kid at all. He's all right. But, you know, he's just he's just a kid. You know, he's, he's, he's got like a warmth and he's got a warmth about him despite the fact all he knows is slavery. You know, I think that's why they can't just steal him, actually. I think they've got like bolts in them that would explode if they so on. But again, it, it's just, it doesn't sell any of that. I mean, we, I wanted to see a character where it was tragic when they fell and there was nothing tragic about this whiny twat he was only heading where he would have gone anyway because he was horrible but um yeah they get him off the planet i think that's the next bit isn't it anything else we see it um oh we see with more yeah i think this is the best action bit in the film it's very short but it's kind of there's there's an intensity in in this fight that you don't really see in any of the other prequels because they're not interested in choreography. They're interested in their eyes and their fear and what was that. Hmm. Um, it is all kind of... Well, choreography. Well, it kicks up a load of dust, deliberately. Or sand, not dust. Yeah. It kicks up a load of sand. It gets um, everywhere. Yeah, they deliberately... It gets everywhere. I hate it. Uh, anyway, right? <laughs> gets right in your smalls. <laughs> so you deliberately can't see very much. But... Yeah, it, and the other thing is, I, I love the fact that he leaps off. Where the way he leaps off his speeder bike, and just gets straight into it. Yeah, there, there is something very like forceful and relentless about the guy and the way he fights. Quite like that, and yeah, he does look amazing. And the bit where they get off the planet and he just switches his lightsaber off, which in hindsight you can kind of see is double sided because of the length of the hilt of it, mm. but it wasn't obvious at the time. And that's actually a really good shot. That's what, another one of those that would make a really good poster. Yeah, it's always one of the things Stragging had that sort of way watching the ship go off and just turn his lightsaber off. So from there, we get Anakin cold, made made a little thing for Padme. Yeah, we see a bit of creepy romance between... Uh... Yeah. 
we need a bit of foreshadowing. They're going to do the nasty next week. <laughs> yep. I I thought this was really really odd. You know, that's the pro- another problem with having him so young. Yeah. My my recollection: Portman was born in eighty one, and they were filming this in ninety seven. So I think she was sixteen. It was eighteen at eighteen at the time of release, and I have a. I think the character's meant to be 14. Anakin is nine. Again, the actor very slightly younger than that. So there's about five years between them. If I've got that right, please correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie. No, um, I think it's about right. One of them's gone through puberty and is a young woman. And the other's <clears throat> a boy who's got a crush on him. That's quite that's quite uh, on her. That's quite normal. I mean, you would might have crushes as kids. But it's very odd that that turns into a relationship later. That is odd. Because we already know from watching it, um, we, we knew from beforehand that like, well, the, the, that's uh, Luke and Leia's mum. So you think, well, those two are going to get it on. And this yeah. is a little bit weird. This is a little bit weird. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, he's talking about, at this point, the Queen and Padme are two different people. Yeah. The, the, the viewer's meant to think, but it's... it's but again, because we know it's Natalie Portman, and we go, well, that's blatantly Natalie Portman. We know... <laughs> We know that, well, that's Queen, obviously. So it's no real surprise when she goes Yeah, there. I mean, the reveal later on was horrible. It was just they were all, like, cheesy smiles. It was like the end of an episode of The Next Generation. They were all, like, fucking cheesy grins and stuff, and it was like, why? It's so bloody obvious. But I did like the next shot. After that, they head for Coruscant, which I think looks really nice from space and looks is really quite impressive design yeah. on the surface, too. And it's from there we get told about the Medicorians, isn't it? Um we get some really shit dialogue where, again, I feel sorry for Jake Lloyd. He wanders up to this and says, what's it? He says something like, Master Qui-Gon or something like that. He says, I've been wondering. <laughs> it's just Have so you now? I've been wondering. I heard you the other day mentioning Medichlorians. What are they? What do you they? mean? Yeah. It, oh, it's awful. Well, Anakin. Or, oh, no, no, Me tell or you. Annie, as they all call him in this. No, no wonder he goes to the fucking dark side. <laughs> Call him Annie. Lawford Annie, that was in Robot Chicken as well. Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. So that's really bad. We meet Chancellor... Not Chancellor. We meet Chancellor Valorum, who's Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Everybody's uh, in this. And Senator Palpatine, who is not the Emperor, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. He's only got the best interest of the Queen at heart. Yeah, so what, basically, are they, what are they there for? To try and basically use the Senate to kill the blockade. Yeah. Yeah, so basically sort of it gets her to do a vote of no confidence. In Valorum. Yeah. Which which doesn't really surprise me because he kind of the first act where he's like, oh, he says, or oh, would you be willing to to wait as we go to committee? She says, no, I'm going to vote for no confidence. Like, well, hang on, I was just asking. <laughs> I've changed my mind. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it seems to be like she votes for no confidence, and that means say, well, there's gonna. That means he's out. It yeah. I mean, because it's like a no confidence says, in the government. It, there now needs to be some sort of democratic process to either reaffirm him or replace him hmm. with someone who loves democracy. Because we all know that he loves democracy. He loves democracy. I do like the. I do like the design of the chamber, Senate chamber. Yeah. I don't know how much sense it makes, but I like it. I like it to look at. And then um, we have um, we meet all the Jedi's, the Jedi Council, don't we? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because they want to tell him all about Anakin's, you know, 
ability anger to... these two oh, well, well, yeah, the... yeah 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 we need to we need to do anakin can you guess what's on the edge of sketch competition sketch. can you guess what's on the ipad yeah they are, ba- they are basically doing that thing that uh, bill murray's doing in the beginning of ghostbusters What's in the back of the car? Hang on a minute. Are you suggesting Qui-Con's trying to get in Anakin's... No, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's grim. <laughs> yeah, you should have brought that up, Chris. Um, <laughs> okay, so they prove he's Force-sensitive because he can see things. Obi-Wan... Sorry, Qui-Gon wants to train him, and the Council don't want him to be trained. Yeah. Because clouded, this boy's future is. And Obi Wan seems to be kind of with the council, it's like thinking, well, should you really train him? Um, yeah, I mean, they say something about the prophecy of the one that will be balanced to the Force, which is never explained. It's repeated. It's repeated during Episode Three, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, well, it's never really sort of clarified. It's just like prophecy. Where from? Yeah, they just say, "Oh, we've been balanced to the Force." How? It doesn't really. They don't really elongate apart from. Well, that. that's the thing. Is like. I suppose like it's true in a lot of religious texts, isn't it? It's like not really that established exactly, you know. Um, but uh, I guess it's written in some sort of revelation book or something like that. <laughs> Ripley's believe it or not. Yes. <laughs> written by Ellen Ripley. So we've this tells us that. Uh, um, so we've now got a Naboo senator as the new chancellor. We've now got um, uh, the the boys. It, we now told the boy has something about him we're not comfortable with. Apart from that, Samuel L. Jackson was out wasted. I don't know if he was. Um, I don't know if he said it on. All, he might have said it on hundreds of shows. He might have said it like on loads of chat shows. He went on, but I remember watching TFI Friday. And he came on, and Chris Evans asked what you know if there was anything he ever really wanted to do, and he said, "I want to be in Star Wars." And then suddenly he's cast. He was. But I don't know if it was on the basis of that show, or he said it on like countless chat shows. It could it could be one of those things where like he was cast, and then when he was at when he's asked, he goes, "Yeah, I want to be in Star Wars." <laughs> I've just got a role. Yeah, I mean, I think he said it about three years before, though. Oh, yeah. it okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know which which one he was on that got in the job, but I think it was off the back of one of them. Yeah, it could well have been TFI Friday. He said it on there, but that's not to say. Sorry, is my alarm going off? Really? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you, you didn't cue the music on in the room then. <laughs> I wish, uh, sadly not. Sorry. Fucking <laughs> okay, it'd be a pie if it was, wouldn't it? <laughs> be like... Be a big orchestra in your room. That'll wake you up. <laughs> All right. Um, All so right. then they decide. So Amidala's pissed off and wants to go back to Naboo to be with her people. Yeah. Shut away in her palace. With mm. a money face. Yeah. She has a bit of a um, money face in this film. I'm sorry. No, she is. <laughs> I've got a feeling she hated this, though. But then Natalie Portman's got like a bit of a track record of that, appear, agreeing to appear in stuff and then whining about it. <laughs> Marvel Universe. It's uh, the same with the Marvel Universe. She's desperate not to be in any of the sequels. She think, well, don't sign to do something that's fucking sequelized then. Yeah. Yeah. So they go. the Jedi go back with her. We, we find out she, Padme and the Queen are the same person. Yeah, because they meet up with all the Gungans. 
Yeah. In that sacred place. He asks for Gungans for help to uh, things, so she sort of like bows to him, essentially. And he's like, and Barry Bless is pleased by it. We're about to have a fight in Windows 98. Can you help? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that battle is an epic scene, and for me, it's like one of the highlights of the movie. But it does like, you've got rolling hills, nice blue sky, a little bit of clouds. It's Windows 98 desktop. For any of you old enough to remember. Yeah, Becca pointed out earlier. Somebody else has mentioned Windows in the past. It it's may have been now. I, I don't remember it being 95. I don't remember it being XP. I'm pretty sure it was 98. I don't know. And it had like the, the rolling hills, you know, green. So now we've got we've got basically the Gungans against the battle droids in England's green and pleasant land. Yes. And then you've it got um, the Federation, the droid control ship that they were on at the start of the film, which basically they go up to have a bit of a fight with. And you've got um, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Uh, we find out Darth Maul's there as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, Darth Maul kind of like breaks. So they, they take on Darth Maul while Padme and her soldiers kind of take the palace. Oh, so that's the four things then, isn't it? Because there's two different things going on at the palace. That palace is a fucking odd design, isn't it? Because you go through the wrong door and it's like suddenly... What is that? Is it the power fucking room or what? It's very strange. <laughs> I don't know. It's where all the, the, the spaceships are and you've got all like the kind of weird kind of endless pit and pit and like and platforms without any railings whatsoever. I mean, you go, <laughs> d- you go downstairs in the night to make yourself a cheese sandwich. <laughs> and, you, and then suddenly you're like, shit. It, it seems to be an ongoing thing, like sort of no safety railings in really high, dangerous high areas. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And also this real weird time lock thing on like electronic red doors. Yes. It's weird, this. But I kind of, I kind of like that when it's used though. Um, that aspect it of it. It's good. It looks good. Just don't think about it at all. But Anakin is is sat in a shuttlecraft, like you know, what's that ship called? He's in he's in a ship. Yeah, the Naboo fighter thing. Yeah, yeah. Because that's because he'll be safe there. And and yeah, and he, and he and he knocks the automatic that just sort of goes, oh, I'm going to fly now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that also a bit like Goldeneye, where they're like the eject buttons right by his head, yes. <laughs> where he could just go ding like that. That's it. One little press of a button and he'll fly up into space. That's fucking mental. <laughs> oh dear. So Anakin goes up into space, takes it off autopilot. R2's in the back, and he's handy. So, so he starts having a bit. He starts, you know, doing barrel rolls and shit. And then you've got uh, the Queen walking around with her guards, just taking back the planet. Including, you know, um, what is it? What's the word? Um, grappling hook work. Yeah. Um, where one of them with no safety harnesses at all. I think. No safety harnesses. And then you've got this sort of three-way lightsaber battle with more yeah. and two Jedi. I, I think it's a good fight. I like. I, I like. I liked how it's staged. I do think it's a wasted opportunity because and it's, it's what it is. Think. I think this could, should have been like because Obi Wan's a Padawan um, at this point. This should have been like his ultimate test. I think it kind of is, but it's never really elaborated on. It's just kind of they never like, really explained it, do they? It's just shown as like, oh, matter of fact, they're having a fight. But it sh- it should have been like a, maybe a little bit more conversation between him and uh, Qui Gon beforehand about 
oh, you need to sort of like face the ultimate test now because this is the, his ultimate um, test of turning to the dark side. Because you know he, he witnesses his his uh, master get killed and he's full of rage, so he goes full on. And I think, well, that should have been his, his kind of like the 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 thing that Luke goes through in Jedi, where he kind of like where he's pushed to the limit, where he's could turn to the dark side, but doesn't, if you know what I mean. And I think they're wasting an opportunity there. He should have stopped and offered him a game of chess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting too angry here. Let's play like men. Yeah, but you know what I mean? I should have done something <laughs> like those lines. Like some, something like kind of resembled that. It's actually quite short, this fight. There's not actually that much to it. I, I've got mixed feelings on it because obviously if it's supposed to be the peak of the Jedi, the idea that they're a bit more... Um, mobile, acrobatic, skilled. Yeah, I kind of get all that, but it, it does seem like a ridiculously over-choreographed dance now when I watch this stuff. Yeah, especially when you compare it to, like, Vader and Luke it's and things. It's too pumped up. It's just it's too pumped too up. Too much choreography. But I, I, I can't deny I enjoyed it at the time, but but now I go back and watch the original trilogy fights, and with the, with the exception of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the first film. It seems more um, natural, doesn't it? Whereas it here it is very much yeah. choreographed to the nth degree. But I think yeah. that was pretty much what it was What was um, sold to us in the trailers, though. It was all about the choreography and fight scenes in Ray Park. But the, the choreography in the scene as well is just generally in this film. It's a little bit kind of a little bit too much, really. It's a bit overkill. Um, but no, I would agree with you, Dave, definitely in, in contrast to the earlier films, kind of the fight scene is too heavily over-choreographed. Um, but it still looks beautiful, though. Um, and it seems kind of more like balletic rather than towards like the, the visceralness, if that's a word. I don't know what you mean. I kind, of, I kind of, if you're going to do that, I'm quite happy it's like episode one, show us what they're capable of. Um, because certainly, I mean, you've got Ray Park here as well. By the time they get to like the third film, it's a little bit less like that and it's a little bit more... There's still a load of flips and bollocks, but there's still there's a bit more emotion in it and stuff for obvious reasons. But if you just want to do a purely let's choreograph them doing flips and all that kind of shit, then I guess do it in episode one. At the same time, you've got uh, Natalie Portman's fine. I don't think anyone can. Yeah, that's that's all going okay. And then you've got uh, oh god, the battle on the that's just a load of like sight gags, isn't it? Yeah, the battle with the gungans. Sort of slapstick kind of. Yeah, that's the problem. It's not selling really any danger. It's set up quite stunningly because you get that real wide shot of like thousands of these droids, and you think, well, you couldn't have done that live action. I kind of appreciate what you're doing here, but then it's all like falling over and shit like that. I don't really like this, and of course, none of it's there. And whilst I'm quite a defender of CG, sometimes it's like there's no stakes here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 again, the problem with like, the, like stuff with the Jar, with Jar Jar character, it's just it, he just kind of like he's given this opportunity. Think, okay, right, he's given opportunity to prove himself, and he's kind of just a bit, you know, accidental with it, and he doesn't really sort of do anything to really. I mean, he's been brave enough to turn up, but he hasn't achieved anything through. <laughs> fighting his limitations in battle. It's all a load of accidents and pratfalls. Yeah, yeah. he's just kind of like, well, I'm here. <laughs> like Anakin, really. Yo, yeah, pretty much. He's like, oh, I just, oh, just accidentally just sort of stumbled into the uh, the, the thing that'll, that'll blow up the whole ship. Okay, fire. Oh, okay, shall I get out? Okay. So he blows that up from the inside by accident. 
a special kind of person to do that. The Gungans win sort of by accident. Well, they don't get captured, but then all the joys get shut down, don't they? Because the yeah. machine gets blown. Oh, Shoot that's it. right. Yeah, that's right. And then obviously you and McGregor, Obi Wan Kenobi dies because Darth Maul has the high ground. Quite good. We learn that we learn that in, uh, we learn that, uh, Darth Maul's got the high ground. We learn in episode three. Don't try it. I've got the high ground. <laughs> so that's it. Obi Wan must give up. Oh, I see what you mean. But he doesn't. Oh, I miss it. He does a huge flip out of nowhere by using the force and cuts him in half. And Darth Maul stands and just watches this. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that was meant to be stunningly exciting. The effect where he's cut in half doesn't look that great as he falls away. That didn't look great in 99. It was one of the few things in the film at the time that I thought, oh, that doesn't look very good. But it was also like, oh, no, they've killed Darth. What have they killed him off for? Oh, yeah. Isn't he still alive in the cartoons, though? Then they bring him back. With bionic legs. Yeah. I've not seen any of that. But he he wasn't really needed, to be honest with you. He he was just there to be a kind of signifier that the Sith had apparently returned and something as a a distraction for the Jedi while Palpatine got to do his other stuff somewhere else. Still, it gives... It does give Sidious the chance to get, like, a fresh, young apprentice next time. (laughs) (laughs) Someone with a real future. (laughs) You're someone who's not 90. I think he was about 78 when the film came out. (laughs) It's just like, that that was bizarre. I'm always happy to see Christopher Lee, but it was odd. was, Was he actually apprentice, or was he kind of like... A co-conspirator. I always took it he was his apprentice. I know. But you, you, I'm, I'm not entirely you know, that's sure. The first though. time I've even thought of that. You might be right, but we're told the Sith there's always two: master and apprentice. I know, but I, I, I'm, what, what I'm saying is because I think oh, I've got to get into episode two now. But isn't he like? Wasn't he already a Jedi anyway before he, he turned? Yes. Yeah, you get. I, I get the sense they're much more on kind of equal footing. Than with with Darth Maul, yeah, but he does. Darth Maul is actually apprentice that he's been training up. Doesn't he? But there's always also General Grievous as well, who obviously isn't a Sith. But he doesn't. He says he says in Episode Three, soon I'll have a younger apprentice. Oh, I think I'm pretty sure he says that line Uh, somewhere. He certainly says a new apprentice. Yeah, but new doesn't have to mean you've already got one. But you may be right. I don't know. but well, yeah, you, these these films you, are so deep. Who who would know? You still get the idea that he's a bit more at the same ground though than uh, than with Darth Maul. But he certainly he certainly uh, he certainly feels Ray Park's slot. <laughs> 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 <That's not laughs> um, okay, so they've all won. I think they should go and like have a like ceremony where they win something as an orb. Some <laughs> or but before what is that, that, that's like that's like what, what are they called? These um, oh, the you put your hand on with the electricity. Thing. Yeah, they've yeah. got a name, haven't they? Uh, Passe is the, their name. Passe, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually called Passe, but yeah, because Qui Gon is killed. Qui Gon's got to be burnt first. Yeah, mm. and then and then and because like of that, players in the series, don't they? And because of that, the Jedi Council go like, oh, go okay, we'll trade him then. Since Qui Gon got killed, we'll trade him. Fair enough. But <laughs> that changes everything. Like, no, we'll... 
this kid was too dangerous to train. Yeah, we'll trade him now. It's well, yeah. I think I think probably because of what he did with blowing up the ship, that was probably a bit more of a maybe they thought that and thought, okay, this guy does have some power. Yeah, we've seen bad things, and also it's it's a group decision as well. Yeah, because Yoda's obviously a bit pissed off about it when he speaks to Obi Wan at the end. Yeah, because uh, he he says of... the council agrees. And also, I mean, it is puppetry. It was augmented. Obviously, it's all CG now, but it was originally a puppet augmented yeah. with CG. In the, yeah, wasn't there like one shot just... where he was completely CD? When he, CD? CG? He's completely CD? <laughs> when he was like, walking. I think when you when see him walk. They, CG, they certainly CG'd legs on anyway. Whether it was all CG, I'm not sure. But the way um, he was puppeteered, he's, he's slightly storming around by Yoda's standards. He's not happy. Yeah. Um, and obviously that has become reference for the sort of CG versions that followed. Yoda's not just stood still talking to him. He's like, your apprentice he is, but he's kind of stomping around a bit. It It is a bit odd. I, I Charlie's right. It will almost be certainly that, that A, it's group decision, and B, Anakin has done things since they said no. But you could also look at it like you've just said, Chris, and gone, right, well, there's... Uh, there's an experienced Jedi there who was going to train him. But now we've got a freshly minted Jedi who doesn't really know what he's doing by comparison. Yes. <laughs> you know? I, I guess they think that, that he, by killing Darth Maul, which is something that was also based on, on the force. Yeah. Um, using the force. Maybe they see that as his trial. And then, and then also his kind of, everyone's you know obviously quite totally... resolute. So. <laughs> I, I think it might be just like a way to honour his memory. He's like, okay, well, this is the thing he really wanted to do. Uh, we said no. He's he did he's died he now. Quite, well, honour his memory. Told the Jet Council that Obi Wan was ready. There's little more I can teach him. He said, yeah, he's ready to face the trials. Having said that, you could totally lie your way into a promotion here, couldn't you? Darth Maul might have fucking tripped over and just fallen down that shaft. And Obi Wan's come back going, "Yeah, I killed him. What happened? Well, I did this leap right, <laughs> and I grabbed the sword in midair, and then I swung it. Make me a Jedi. <laughs> well done. Yeah, right then. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there's a few scenes in this I quite like. The quite gone on the funeral pyre with the sort of sideways look at Palpatine. I quite like. Mm. There's always a master and an apprentice, but which one did we kill? And you think, well, you know, that's clearly not the emperor. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and then and then it's the, the musical ending, isn't it, where these have a big What's celebration. What's your career with great interest? Foreshadowing. Yes. Hey, Anakin, this creepy old man's interested in you. <laughs> he's going to watch you. And then the, um, the music for the parade is the emperor's theme from Return of the Jedi. It really is. Is it? Is it? In a different key, yeah. I was going to say, it must be in a different key, because we didn't hear that. Yeah. In the in, How in does the intro theme go? It's... And this one goes... Isn't it in a slightly mournful key in um, Jedi? Oh, yeah, because it's like a male choir. Whereas this is like a children's choir. So you've got a ch- so you've got children singing the emperor's theme. Yeah, major key, where yeah. he's really the winner of the whole thing. I'd never known that, noticed yeah. it, whatever. That's really quite interesting. Yeah. Well, we had to have something interesting at some point. 
And, and also, yeah, I think like, I think we haven't mentioned it before, but John Williams' uh, Duel of Fates score score is is pretty is pretty good as well. I think that helped kind of level. Um, that was part of the build up. Yeah, that's that was my like, famous of, like favorite. That was um that was released kind of as a single, if you like, and it was mm. on all the sort of music channels. Yeah. So I remember that summer, this was it was being heavily played into the lead up to the film. So I would say Jewel of the Fates was actually a big part of the promotion to this film. Mm. Um, that might be misremembered. You know, I might find out afterwards it came out after the film or something. No, it didn't. No, but no, my you're recollection right. is it was part of the build up to it, and yeah. it was like that's outstanding, and it and it remains so. So yeah, and then we have um, Brian Brassard standing with Natalie Portman with a big giant globe thing. With a yeah. big giant ball, <laughs> um, <laughs> bloody marvelous! I can't, I can't do blind message, but uh... the thing is, right in the in the first film, when they got medals, as as cheesy as I thought that scene was, I get the point of medals. We see veterans every fucking you know Remembrance Day wearing versions Undergraph of Undergraph generator. That was it. I don't. <laughs> was that? I was trying to think. What is it called? What is it called? And there was, there was like an eighties synth band that yeah, had the same name. She's been searching balls on Google Image Search ever since. Um, <laughs> I knew I, 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 there was a scientific name for it, and I was yeah. like, "What is it? What is it?" Honestly, he could have been holding a looking annual in the air at the end of this because that just totally didn't matter what Boss Nass was given there. It was just totally like yay at the end of the film. Looking. I still don't know what it is. Yeah, it was a kid's it's, fucking well, it's, speech. It's, oh. a, it's, it's, I'm guessing, a gift. I've heard of that before. From, is, it, is it from him to Queen Amidala? Um, okay. Or, or the other way around, because he says peace. Okay. So it's to oh, signify so that the Naboo and the Gungans have come together. Yes. That's a, it's actually much more clever in idea than it is in execution, because so, earlier mm. in the film... They're being told what affects one of you affects the others. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And actually, they've managed to achieve by working together. So, yeah, it does actually make some sense. But at the time, it was like, what's that then? All right, cool. It's almost as if, like, if it was, if you had a better director doing this, it, you would have had a much better film. It's almost. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like this. If this had been well written and directed, it would have been. <laughs> we we have something special. <laughs> I think we, I think we've unlocked the I think we've unlocked the the formula, Chris. <laughs> Anyone listening now, you can go out and make good films. <laughs> you just thunk it. Our final thoughts. Let's go in another direction, Becca. Final thoughts. Uh, yeah, back in '99. I'm quite liking this film upon release. No. Three out of five. Um, <laughs> That's generous. No, I mean, it's, it's very much a mixed bag. There is a lot of padding. Um, this one's about two, two and a quarter hours long. It could easily be doing like hour and a half, hour and 20 tops. Um, clunky dialogue, a lot of basil exposition. We, you know, the audience smarter than the characters. Um, Liam Neeson stands out. It's quite gone. Um, you know, Gregor... Uh, just he answers role quite well actually. I do quite like him a lot in this film. Um, Jake Lloyd bless him again. Clunky dialogue. Um, we know all know what became of him. Some of the CGI, some of it really does work. Um, and the big battle scenes with, with the droids and the Gungans, I think that does look a little bit as you say, Dave Plasticine esque. Um, takes place on Windows 98 battlefield. Otherwise, no, there are there are high points. So it's obviously the pod race for me is probably one of the great 
greatest set pieces, um, probably uh, one of the greatest chase scenes um, of recent years in, in cinema, I think. Um, I actually think it's quite, paced quite well and it's quite exciting to watch. Epic fight between Darth Maul is just, considering he only speaks like three words of dialogue or something, such an iconic character, Mary Park is fantastic. Again, the fight scene towards the end is just utterly breathtaking. And with Duel of the Fates in the background, I think is one of my most favourite pieces of of, um, of scoring. Up there with the Bond themes, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it's just like it's just a, too many, too many pro, too many, too many pros, too many cons outweighing the pros. It's, it's just too but, good. It's just too good. Bugger. <laughs> Wait for next. I week. can't handle it. It's too good. <laughs> it's just too good a movie. Um, no, too many cons for me, sadly. So. Yeah, good you need to probably had that problem with five. Con Air as well. Too many cons. <laughs> I've never seen that film. <laughs> it's it's nice. we'll, we'll, we'll cover it in our Simon West retrospectives. <laughs> <laughs> our Nick Cage retrospectives. Oh, yeah, our, our Nick Cage action film. Bloody hell. Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Talk some more shit about episode one. <laughs> is there any more shit to talk about episode one? This is a very good film. Uh, it 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 went down in my estimation. I always had a slight defence about it. Uh, watching it now, it, it's as clear as ever. I mean, I've always said Lucas isn't a good director or writer. He should have he should have asked. Jamie's doing both. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, I think you know. I think we'll agree that you know Lucas is as a, as a producer. Fine, if he's going to sort of provide the story, fine, but get someone else to write the script for you. And for God's sake, man, you know, get someone to direct because because didn't you learn from from the the fans like really relate to when you get other people to direct your stuff? Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a shame this, but I think. The damage is done later on a lot more. I think had clones been a lot better, this wouldn't be um, as as damning. But yeah, no. Uh, I think there are things in this that are, that are good, but ultimately it just falls down to just like really, really poor character development, really sort of missed opportunities, and just really crappy dialogue and really stilted performances. Uh, just from, I just wish Lucas just wasn't so precious about his his franchise and just like trusted other people to help him. You know, like sort of pick people with better skills skill sets than him and sort of like, okay, you do this and you do this and I'll do this. But well, he, no. he did he did offer about out to about four directors and a couple of writers as well. Did he? Yeah, yeah, but they all turned him down. Oh, right, so he actually did what? Did he actually offer to? Did he actually want someone to direct it for him? Yeah, because at, the, at, the, at, at some point Frank Darabont was writing it. He offered it to Lawrence Kasdan. I heard a rumor as well that he offered it to direct to Irving Kirshner, and they offered Spielberg as well and Ron Howard. That was in a very different Cause, film. Because there was there was there was a, a time where because where the, the final act was completely different in terms of the way it all went. And basically, George went to, Lucas went to uh, Spielberg and Ron Howard, and they kind of completely recut it, almost, um, which is why a lot of the music in that section is kind of choppy as well a bit. Uh, yeah, late changes. I had heard that. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think I knew the details of why, but I, I knew there were late changes to Act 3. And if you are um, a bit more observant with music than the average filmgoer, I mean, we hear it, we like it, but if you're a little bit more observant, um, apparently it doesn't make an awful lot of sense, the scoring in Act 3. Um, in places I, I have heard that I think you may have even said that before Charlie probably yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if you watch the beginning as well the, uh, the documentary um, it was probably after that screening they had um, where everyone's just like hmm. miserable yeah yeah <laughs> like what the fuck is this yeah I still like it um, I still love parts of it I still think parts of it are amazing generally the parts where there's no dialogue although I have a massive liking for the uh, the kind of the scene where Anakin leaves his mother just that whole sequence for me is is far and away like just about the best sequence in the film in terms of acting and writing um, I think it's just a nice kind of sequence um, and it kind of should have put Anakin on a, on a better road than it did at the end of the day it's the whole film is completely unnecessary and didn't need to be made as it is it's got bad bits and it's got good bits um i've kind of made my peace with all of it really um but yeah really it's the fact that it didn't need to be made really as it is it's, it's just lucas instantly painting himself into a corner which hugely affects the uh the next two films i kind of um pick up on a couple of things there Char- uh, charlie they used um i'm sure I'm, I'm sure it was on the original dvd release I'm not sure if it's on the Blu-ray, but there was certainly a TV spot built around that uh, Don't Look Back, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you could almost well up watching it. Yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, So I I have to agree on that. It captured the look of um, uh, of a bit like Moss Eisley, although Lucas explains in the the, um, commentary that Moss Esper, I think it's called, isn't it? It's meant to be a, a yeah. bigger city. And it captures all of that. And, and I think that gets to, to a couple of points I, to, I really want to make. It's It feels like a Star Wars film, more than what's coming next week and the week after. Despite the fact we see clone troopers next week and, and things that remind us maybe more of the original trilogy. Now, there are visual effects in every shot bar one of this film. The one that it isn't in is like literally a picture of a vent a bit uh, earlier in the film, but it's it's a, like a Star Wars film if no one has ever acted before, and it's written it, it's aimed a bit young younger, and no one's proofread the script. The script is purely all the dialogue is just literally about getting ideas across to each other. So you know literally the plot is all the dialogue is almost all expository um charlie's right this film doesn't really need to exist um it's purely the fact that you arbitrarily started at episode four so you know there's a trilogy to be put in place and where to start and finish that trilogy um i certainly think you have you have a problem now that anakin's going to be played by somebody different next week i think anakin should have started older I think we should have already, and I think you know, don't start with a taxation routes, you know, taxation of trade routes dispute, and then tell us it's for kids. That makes it a very, very totally confused film. What what is this meant to be? Who's it meant to be for? You've got 
a Gungan stepping in shit <laughs> and loads of sight gags and catching catching his tongue in some power coupling. It's it's the off. it's the sound effects as well. It's like you know, or it's like Looney Tunes. Well, you know, he steps in shit and gets his head caught in a power coupling just so that they can get off the planet uh, and go to a Senate to talk very dryly about how people are starving. Who's that aimed at? So it's a very confused film. It's written by a guy who can't really write, but his head is still almost an embarrassment of riches because, you know, most of this comes out of his head. I know I know, people went and gave him designs to judge, but, I mean, he used to go around with a stamp. You see it in the beginning, you know, he, he walks in to a room, picks the design he wants or says, I want this plus that. He's very picky. Everyone laughs a bit nervously at his jokes, not because he's terrifying, but because he is in absolute charge. And so there's no adversity. He didn't have to earn any of this. He didn't have to compromise any on it, any of it. If he wanted to make it, if he'd wanted to make the pod race, you know, pod race eight laps long, that's entirely in his gift. There's no, there's no creative tension here. So all of the bad decisions he's made are only questioned at points where Lucas offers them up for question. So when Lucas does do a screening, and I remember Frank Marshall, the partner of Kathleen Kennedy, sat there, they tell him, but they only tell him because he says, I want you to tell me. For the rest of the film, he's surrounded by technicians and, and very clever people who are just doing exactly whatever he wants. From casting to to visuals to CG, it's all he is the ultimate arbiter of all of it. And the end result is a mess. Having said that, like I say, it looks more like a Star Wars than what film than what we're about to get. And we have to remember, nothing could ever, ever have reached, uh, satisfied the level of hype there was in 1999. So like Chris says, so I haven't agreed with Charlie on a couple of points, I also agree with Chris that had the next two films been really great, I think we'd still be saying, well, that second trilogy they did got off to a bit of a slower start. But it wasn't inherently ruinous. But it wasn't a great start. I think. I think as as well. You can see what here is ostensibly a tech demo. Yes. This is this is Lucas using Star Wars as a platform for, and this is both a positive and a negative thing for pushing the envelope of what he's able to do both in terms of actually making the film with like digital and stuff like that they're just, they're starting out with I think there was like a couple of digital shots in this or maybe one I think there was something um, like yeah there was at least one shot that was shot digitally in this film yeah. never said which it was obviously obviously, you've got Jar Jar as the digital character and whatever you say about Jar Jar and, and I mean that's still a huge thing um, to have one of the main characters digital like that yeah definitely um, and um, and then all the other all the other stuff that he did, and and there is so much of it is models as well. I mean, like the um, Queen Amidala's palace, you see it from the uh, the kind of side where it goes onto a lake or what have you, and there's waterfalls and stuff, and and it's a model with the waterfalls are made with salt, and it's there's probably a lot of stuff that um, people just don't. Again, because because this film has has had a bit of a stigma on it with the CGI, and that was one that was always one of the big criticisms 
So that there are some like beautiful aspects of it as well. I do think it doesn't look as fakey as what's coming, Becca. Oh yeah, no, 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 it really doesn't. I mean, there are, there are yeah. a few, you know, there are a few times yeah. where the scenery does look a bit wobbly and everything. But yeah, yeah. There are some, I mean, I j- I just as, think... as much as we complained about having, you know, this film being too busy and seeing too many like alien creatures, um, some of the worlds and planets that we see throughout the series are utterly breathtaking. I oh, wish yeah, they were real. They're so beautiful. Naboo's a beautiful, a beautiful. Really everything, beautiful. everything Naboo is beautiful all the way through the series. What Dave said as well about about this being his unfiltered creative mind, which I think is right, and making it going from the tiny little conflict or the tiny little rebel alliance and how everything had changed there from going to what is ostensibly the kind of the the grand age of the Republic and what have you. I think think just people just just don't necessarily um, realise how much of it is not CG or is, is... or is, I, is a model the, element. Yeah, I think the point I was going to make on that, Charlie, is that I do wonder if it backs up your whole tech demo sort of thesis on this that you've said before a few times. That yeah, yeah. I think they've almost shot themselves in the foot when it came to the extras because they've emphasized Lucasfilm. That would have been, a, you know, the beginning was a Lucasfilm-approved a- unshot extra. And they, they have focused on how much they could do digitally in the, in the, every time you see the actors, they're stood surrounded by a sea of blue or green and that's it. And, and you can understand that in 99, it's so that when you put the finished product in front of investors or anything, they'll go, shit, you can do all that from nothing. Whereas it would have looked old school to, to show all the models that were being made. And it's like I say, it's the same with the, um, it's the same with the um, pod race. The crowd there, yes, when they're walking across the track from 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 up in the sky, those are digital. But the mm. actual stands were, were practical. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think it all started with the special editions, really, because I think the special editions was his tech demo for doing the prequels. Let's prove I can do this. And again, it, it kind of it goes from I need to fix these things that have been bugging me since I made the film to. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, I know. But uh, and he, yeah. and he, had, but, he changes things. He changes things between the whole the whole week. We'll get it next week as well. There'll be shots that were quite that were a little different in the cinema release and so on. Yeah, we haven't um, even gone into like all the in- inconsistencies with the original films in terms of story and stuff like that. And I'm sure we can re- yeah get to that as we go yeah. through. And I know not yeah. necessarily specifically to the Phantom Menace, but they are all the way through. Yeah, uh, and they are problems. Like Yoda training Obi Wan and things like that. I know, and it would have been, it would have been also, and that's another reason it would have been much more sensible to start in this time. Yeah, with, with an older Anakin because that broken down old man at the old end of Jedi is not very old. No, uh, he's only in his forties. But there you go. I still feel underinformed, folks. Yes. Do we need some fun facts to? No, I think we need some star facts, Chris. Oh, okay. That's a shame. I've only got fun facts. Oh, all right. Then. <laughs> we'll, oh. We'll make we'll make do with some of they. Had Ewok facts last week. Witcher, witcher. Yep, nope. I could have some Gungan facts this week, maybe. Moin, <laughs> 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 moin. Well, what else can I say? Misa, Misa got fun facts. Just throw us more. How about some racist stereotypes <laughs> to fit the theme of the film? 
Fun fact number one, Watto is voiced by Andy Seacombe, married to former Bond girl, Caroline Bliss. <laughs> That's right. That's not right. That's uh, the wrong Bond girl. Which Bond girl was it? <laughs> I've written down the wrong name. I thought you were going to say Caroline Cossie. Oh no, they um. <laughs> oh, surely not. <laughs> could be. Well, it could be even... now. Yeah, Is it but... Bruce something or other. Br- yeah, that famous Bond girl, Bruce. <laughs> no, I can't think what, what it's called. Oh. Okay, so your fact is, the voice of Watto's married to someone who's something to do with the Bond series who may have tits. Yeah. Possibly. Yes. What cubby uh, broccoli? Roger yes. <laughs> Moore. Is he, any, is he any relation to... Um... Yeah, he's married to Caroline yeah, yeah, Bliss. Yeah this, is, yeah, this is my fun fact. Right. After all that, she got the fact right. Yeah, <laughs> son of Harry Seacombe. Yeah, I, I couldn't pronounce his name. Yeah, it's actually... A, yeah, there we are. Fun fact folks related to... Um, <clears throat> Caroline Bliss. Goon show. Maybe we could do it in a, in a silly voice. What's the well, time? I don't know. I've got to be down somewhere. To camera from songs, a grass songs of phrase. <laughs> Yeah, uh, highway, highway. Yeah. Fun fact number uh, two: Darth Maul was is voiced yeah. by Peter Serafinowicz. Due to his accent, maybe I don't know. Fun fact number three: Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, and arguably Ian McDermott are the only returning actors to reprise their roles from the original trilogy. Fun fact number two: British actors Richard Armitage and Dominic West have walk-on roles. Like before they were, well, obviously Dominic West was quite famous, but Richard Armitage before he was famous can be seen as Palace Guards. Was Dominic West famous then? No. It's kind of famous. I think he'd been like bit parts and things like that. So. Oh, hugely famous. I've been a fan of his for quite a long time. He, he played waiter number three. <laughs> Very famous. <laughs> no, it's just gone like you know before they were mildly <laughs> famous. Obviously, now like huge. So. He's massive. Well, no, like I don't know. He's kind of since being in um, Oak and Shield. You know, his kind of star quality has gone. Oh, yeah. him! I thought you were talking about. Um... No, not Dominic West. <laughs> VJ Armitage. Yeah, VJ Armitage. <laughs> you just Right, that was fact three, Becca. You you announced it wrong. You said it was two. Oh, sorry, that was fun fact number four, actually. No, that was two, three, wasn't it? Wasn't the oh. first one? Wasn't the first yeah. one that number bloke was married two. to someone two, we promised? Darth Maul being voiced by Peter Serafina Winner Winner Witch. Oh yeah, yeah. there's the one about yeah. <laughs> number three. About the three actors, arguably four, reprising their roles in the original series. Number four, actors before they were famous. And number five other, five other cameo roles include Oric Davies, yeah, Sophia Coppola, who we mentioned earlier, and Rick McCallum. Yeah, Rick McCallum doesn't really surprise me, given he was like on set. Well, no, that's it. It's kind of like a Hitchcock cameo, isn't it, pretty much? Yeah, isn't he, him and Ben, ben Burr are at the end or something? Yeah, they pop up. You can just tell because they like, they're wearing massive hats, like wide-brimmed hats. Didn't uh, Warwick Davies also play like a young Greedo as well? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be Greedo, but yeah, it's the same. It was cut out. Oh, there was yeah. a deleted scene where he had a fight with, well, Greedo. Well, yeah. It, yeah, I think it's ended in, up on the cutting yeah. room floor. Yeah, and it was a ridiculous mask because it was just the same kind of size as the actual Greedo mask on it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. They, yeah they're obviously born with their heads full size, <laughs> and then the rest of their body slowly falls out. Falls on afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it was a bumpy ride, but I have to say, that's fun, folks. <laughs> so where can you find us on social media? You can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter, although I will largely be taking October off. Uh, well, OK, well, there's an incentive for you. <laughs> so write to me next month, folks. 
It'll have to keep you enjoy your social media holiday. I'm having a social media holiday, except for the podcast. Are you still going to be on uh, Netflix as well? I'll still do all my podcasts. Good. Um, you can find me at Cinematronics on Twitter. Uh, even though I actually don't tweet that much, so I might as well be on a fucking holiday. <laughs> I'm really glad we did social media tonight. Oh, you can write to me there, but I'm not there. You can write to me, but I don't write. Fuck off. Charlie! Um, I mean, I'll, always... I'll get it, but I'll probably just won't reply. Well, Charlie tweets quite a lot. Yes, I'm pretty much always, and especially seeing it's, it's in the month of October, I will be tweeting quite a lot. You can find me at MovieDrone on Twitter. I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not, so don't follow me. Just follow me, don't worry about the rest. <laughs> just follow, follow Expected to Talk, and, and follow we'll, Charlie, we'll, and follow we'll Chris. Do a tweet along with The Exorcist. All right, okay, yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> yes, most of my tweets will just go, that's quite funny. All right, okay. <laughs> um, get, get Kermode on, on board, because that's his favourite movie, where, where isn't it? people find us? You can find us at Expect Us to Talk on YouTube. Slash, do you expect us to talk? You can also find us on iTunes. Just search, do you expect us to talk? And also on Facebook. And again, the moniker, do you expect us to talk? No, it's not. It's, at, it's forward slash expect us to talk on Facebook. That's the one. Thank you. I did have them written down, but I've actually run out of paper, so I'm trying to do it from memory. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you had to write the labyrinthine plot of episode one down. <laughs> yeah, I took up my last page. Because there were worldwide <laughs> paper shortings. <laughs> I, I it took a whole paragraph. <laughs> I have no more notebooks left. I have to go and buy a new one. I'll go to well known stationery shop tomorrow and give them my business. <laughs> yes, on the way home you can buy yourself a commercial beverage. <laughs> <laughs> Becca's desperate to work at the BBC, I'm sure of it. <laughs> oh, Becca, let's come back next week and talk about something else. Which means... So we will return with Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Sorry, just... just, just it's like Attack of the Clone. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be doing Becca's S's next week. <laughs> what, what did I say? You said Attack of the Clone. Clones. <laughs> yeah. Good night, folks. Oh, good night, folks. Look.